0: Hi, Rachel here. If you like Port Saga and want more audio fiction in your life, please become a patron at patreon.com slash Rachel J. Wilkinson. You can get bonus content, access to our Patreon-only Discord server, exclusive podcast feeds for early and ad-free episode releases, and the satisfaction of supporting an independent studio. So please join us at patreon.com slash Rachel J. Wilkinson. The following episode contains adult
1: content, violence, and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga, Episode 14. Let God Seek Vengeance.
2: At this range, I can't miss. Two shots, maybe three with my Dragon's Breath rounds, and then it's done. I'm free. I take a long, unnecessary breath, aim my gun at the back of the Archon's head, and pull back the hammer. My beeper goes off, and I panic, but I know better than to move. Our ability to remain invisible is more mass hypnosis than magic cloak. Anything that breaks the mesmerism risks revealing our position. So... I stand preternaturally still. The gun in my hand is as steady as they come. If he has the ability to augment his senses like most Torridor do, I can only hope, hope the crash of waves covered the sound. Very slowly, I slide my hand into my pocket and carefully fish out the beeper. I glance at the number. Harper's Edge Retirement Center. It's an emergency number for my mother. Fuck. Locke turns to walk away, climbing up the beach toward the boardwalk. Fuck. Sure, I could still try to shoot him, but if I miss, who knows who I'll hit. If I miss, I'll have nowhere to run with an Archon on my ass. Fuck. Fuck! I let him go. God. Oscar gave me a goldstone for luck. Remind me to get a refund. By the time I became a vampire, my mother and I were estranged. And yeah, at this point you're probably sensing a theme. It's like the quote about the guy who thinks everyone's an asshole. If someone's an asshole, they're an asshole. If everyone's an asshole, you're the asshole. Lawrence, Aaron, Frank, my mother, hell, even Kyle Wheaton and I parted on less than great terms. And who's the common denominator in all these scenarios? Yeah. Anyway, years passed and she grew old. Lawrence helped me find a comfortable place for her. I've been trying to provide for her ever since. Be there when I can, which admittedly is less than what she deserves. Harbor's Edge is a good place, though. As good as any, I suppose. But it's still a nursing home. Excuse me, I received a call regarding my mother, Joyce Evans. I'm her son.
0: Are you Charlie? I am. I thought I recognized you from your picture. Nice to finally meet you.
2: Is she all right?
0: She's fine. Why?
2: Because I got an emergency message from this number.
0: Okay, that's weird. Let me check. You're sure it was this number?
2: Yes. Here, see? It came up on my beeper.
0: Oh. Are you a doctor?
2: No. uh, A music teacher.
0: Cool. Are you sure it's not a glitch or something? Because I'm not showing any record of an emergency call, and to be honest, I'm not even sure why you'd get a call. Why not? Because your mother is fine. The father visited with her an hour ago.
2: The father?
0: Father Francis...
2: Father Francis, from St. Michael's Church.
0: Yeah. Ever since the church burned down, he's been holding evening services here every couple of weeks.
2: I need to see her now.
0: Of course. But she might already be asleep. You're welcome to go to her room, or you can wait here while I have someone wake her.
2: No, no. I'll just take a quick peek in on her. Thank you. It wasn't long after I escaped the Fremonts that my father left my mother... By the time I was returned to them, their marriage was more like a a vestigial tale, an atrophied, functionless holdover from a different time. While he may have never said it out loud, I think he blamed her for my kidnapping, and over time that blame became resentment, and resentment became contempt. But he stayed all the years I was missing. Maybe he didn't want to look like a callous husband divorcing a grieving mother. Or maybe he was as heartbroken and desperate as she was and didn't want to be alone. The celebration of my return was short-lived. After about eight months, my father had lost patience with my, I don't even know what to call it, my weirdness, my damage, my inability to be like other kids my age. He left Port Saga, got remarried, and had a very normal family with very normal problems until he died of a very normal heart attack. I peek into my mother's room. A low-lit lamp on the nightstand provides just enough light for me to see her. She has ruddy, weather-worn features with deep wrinkles around her eyes and white hair streaked with silver, and, as the nurse said, is sleeping peacefully under a patchwork quilt. Relieved, I close the door and head back out to the car. Listen, I'm not worried about Frank holding my mother hostage or hurting her to get to me. I'm worried he'll tell her that I'm I'm dead.
3: Your mother seems well. <gasps> Jesus. In the rearview mirror I see Frank on the far
2: side of the back seat, cloaked in shadow. He isn't wearing his collar.
3: You waited for the nurse to step out to call me on their phone. I needed to get your attention. how do you even get my number? You're listed as her emergency contact. All right. Well, here I am. What is it? Let's go for a drive. Where are we going, Frank? Get us to the highway.
2: I'm not sure which part of this I find more unsettling. Frank sneaking into the back seat of the car like some sort of serial killer... Or the fact he isn't wearing his collar.
3: Been keeping yourself busy? Busy enough. No thanks to you and your kind. Hey, we didn't start this war. You did. And if I had it my way, the entire undead population of Port Saga would be ash. Your way? Does this mean one of your superiors is called off the hunt? (laughs) Never. It only means resources are harder to come by when they classify a project as personal. They have decided to prioritize more consequential infestations like New York and Chicago. But I have no doubt God will provide. They, they broke your cipher. Then I will create another. Of course you will.
2: Listen, Frank, I don't suppose I can get you to ease up a little? You know, pull back, regroup? Reassess for a bit? Why would I do that? My people thought you were dead. They thought you were dead, and now they know you're alive, and... Why not move on to New York or Chicago? Leave Fort Saga behind? Why would they think I'm dead?
3: Because I told them you were. Why did you do that? So they'd stop hunting you. But Charlie, I don't want
2: them to stop. We pass a billboard that says, See you soon, with a cartoon crab waving a claw as you leave the city limits.
3: Where are we going? Keep driving. I'll tell you when we get to the exit.
2: The thing is, we're headed west, deeper into the Virginia countryside. Before too long, we'll be in werewolf territory. And for the record, you never ever want to be stranded on the side of the road in werewolf country. I can't be out here all night playing Driving Miss Jesus. I have a situation I need to deal with. What sort of situation? I'm caught between two very powerful people,
3: being forced to do things I don't want to do. Then don't. Not that simple. Yes, it is. It's called free will. You always have a choice. Even if it means death? Especially so. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? Have you ever considered what you forfeited when you transformed yourself into an undead monster? And for what, Charlie? For more power? More money? For love. I met someone. We fell in love, and he
2: told me it was a way for us to be together always and forever.
3: He asked you to give up the daylight and become an inhuman corpse that drinks the blood of the living out of love? Judge not, lest he be judged then it would seem to me you are well-equipped to die for your conviction. I guess I am. But can I also just point out how much progress you and I have made?
2: How so? You've gone from seeing me as a demon masquerading as your friend, to your friend who made a decision you really, really don't agree with.
3: (laughs) Take the next exit. What the hell is in Franklin? Carl and Martha Fremont.
2: Frank has me pull into the empty parking lot of a sleepy diner on the outskirts of Franklin, Virginia. A gloomy brick building has a sign on the roof with a few unfortunate letters burned out, turning the country griddle into the cunty riddle. Open 24-7. The only other business open this late is a truck stop across the street with a couple of semis parked in a lot. Aside from the faint sound of traffic from the highway, out here... It's quiet enough to hear a wolf howl. You sure this is where you want to stop? Let's get some coffee. Coming around the car, Frank leans heavily on a cane as he follows me to the entrance. Are you sure you should be out?
3: Sure as ever.
2: The inside is dreary brown with wood panel wainscoting, speckled laminate counters, and red clay tile floors. The diner is virtually empty save one lone trucker, a waiter, the cook, and a television mounted on the wall working hard to fill the silence.
4: Sit anywhere you like.
2: The waiter waves us in, and Frank chooses two swivel chairs at the far end of the counter.
4: Can I get you anything?
2: I give the old man a long, hard look. And as much as I want to deny it, it's him. He's a shriveled, wrinkled version of the man I used to know. Unbelievably, I'm staring at a 70-year-old
3: Carl fucking Fremont. Two cups of coffee, scrambled eggs and toast for me, thanks.
2: As Carl passes the ticket to the cook, Frank leans in to whisper,
3: Martha's in the kitchen. Jesus, Frank. We'll wait for the trucker to leave. This is insane. There are no security cameras and I already have a place to bury the bodies. Can we just slow down a minute, please? You're willing to feed from people, kill people, but not these two? It's complicated. No, it's not. It's very simple. Have you ever killed someone, Frank? I've killed many times.
2: Actual people, I mean, not Not vampires. I'm talking living, breathing people. No, I haven't. Well, it feels different, heavier,
3: more permanent, and a lot more bloody. I've been thinking about this moment for 40 years. It won't change
4: anything. What about Mike or Jenny and Robin? It won't change anything for- Two coffees. Them either. Eggs will be ready in a minute.
2: Thank you. As Carl wanders back to the television, I catch a glimpse of Martha in the kitchen. She's older, shorter, but the same woman I tossed down a flight of stairs, the same woman Frank choked unconscious with a chain.
3: How is this a debate? How is it not a debate? I eradicate evil from this world. That is what I do. That is what I am. I made a promise. To... The one who made me. Ah, Yes, the one who transformed you into a monster out of love. Yes, Frank. Love.
2: After getting my ass beat in the drunk tank on the regular, I finally hit rock bottom. I met Lawrence at AA. And over a long stretch of time, he helped me understand that I was punishing myself for what the freak, what they did to us. For the people I let down, for the life I never got a chance to have. He was patient and kind. He listened to me, and for the first time in my entire fucked-up life, I felt heard. Eventually, he revealed himself, and I asked to join him. But he made me choose. Like you, I I wanted to hunt them down just to make them hurt like they hurt us, and I thought, here's my chance. Lawrence said he would help me, but after they were dead, he'd never see me again. Or, I could leave my vengeance behind and choose to be immortal, with him, forever. I think... I think he understood what that does to a person, carrying around all that, that
3: hate. Where is Lawrence now? He is dead. Hmm. Was the price worth it? You can be a real stubborn asshole. I'm not stubborn. I'm persistent, focused on a goal, and committed to my faith. No. No, this is an excuse so you can keep running from your problems.
2: I'm not running.
3: Yes, you are. I always wanted to fight, and you always wanted to wait. And after we got free of them, you ran as far as you could. Where the fuck did I run? I'm sitting in this hellish excuse for a diner next to you, aren't I? You ran to the bottle so you wouldn't have to face the world. Turned into a monster, so you wouldn't have to be responsible for the living. You told your associates I was dead, so you wouldn't have to deal with them killing me or me killing them. Fuck you. No. Fuck you. You owe me. I paid that
2: debt, remember? I saved your life, even after you tried to kill me? Maybe
3: I should have finished what I started.
4: Scrambled eggs and toast? Let me know if you need anything else. Excuse me, do you own this place? Nah... Just work here. The wife and I thought we'd be retired by now. But things don't always go as planned. Your wife the cook? She is. Fifty years of marriage. And I don't regret a day of it. Oh, really? Not a one? The things we do for love. Enjoy your meal, fellas.
3: You heard him. Doesn't regret a single day. He's under no
2: obligation to bare his soul to a couple of strangers sitting at his counter, Frank. You have no idea how he really feels.
3: He didn't even recognize us. How many
2: years were we in that house? They're 70 years old, working the graveyard shift at a diner in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. They're not going anywhere. There's no rush. We don't have to do this tonight. Can we just, can we just sleep on
3: it? Or something? Why? It'll give me time to look them up. Check on them. I did that already. They're clean. No outstanding warrants. No dependents. Not even a dog waiting for them at home. Let me do my due diligence. Charlie. Please? I'm asking. 48 hours. A couple nights
2: won't change anything, and next time you don't have to call pretending to be my mother.
3: (sighs) We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Proverbs? No. Romans. I thought you preferred the Old Testament. I still do.
2: As Frank digs into his eggs, the truck driver slaps a couple bills on the counter and makes his way toward the exit, though not before glancing at a bright mustard yellow flyer on a bulletin board. Right between a photocopied picture of a missing cat and someone in search of a roommate is an advertisement for music lessons specializing in beginners under the age of ten, courtesy of Carl and Martha Fremont.
4: Music lessons, yeah? That's right. You have kids? Nah, but I got a nephew who wants to play piano. Give us a ring. We'd be happy to help. Will do. Thanks. Have a good night.
2: I give Frank a look, and whatever restraint I had within me dissipates. Replaced by cold, unmitigated rage.
3: Music lessons. Yeah. Still want to sleep on it?
2: No, I'm good.
3: I'll take Carl.
2: You take Martha. Wait. For what? First, we're going to wait for the trucker to leave. Then I want you to pay the check, leave, and walk around the building to the back exit. Why? Because I'm going to scare them, and that's the direction they're going to run. (sighs) Together we could push them both into the freezer. With your leg, in your condition, this is smarter. Trust me.
3: Fine. You
2: have two minutes Frank stands, tosses a 20 on the counter, and limps his way out the door. I take in the room Carl, Martha, the TV, the ticking clock on the wall, Frank's untouched toast, and the knife laying next to it. In my mind, I commit to a course of action and call on the fleetness in my blood. I snatch the knife as I leap over the counter, grab Carl from behind, and ram it into his carotid artery. When I pull the knife back out, blood spurts from the wound as Carl collapses onto the floor. While he bleeds out, I pocket the knife and step into the kitchen where Martha stands at the grill. She looks up, and even after 40 years, she recognizes me under the red splatter of her husband's blood. Her face goes white. Hello, Martha. I bear my fangs and bite. Frank already had the open cemetery plot chosen, already had the shovel stashed and the pile of dirt beside it. All we have left to do is hop in the hole, dig a couple more feet down, dump the bodies, cover them, and tomorrow wait for a casket to land on top. Funeral proceeds, mourners come, and no one realizes their dearly departed has company another three feet down. Frank preps the bodies while I dig. He hasn't said a word to me since we left the diner. And sitting on the edge of the grave is Aaron McKenna.
1: Took you long enough.
2: I know it's not really you.
1: Do you, though? It's a weird world. Can't ever be quite sure.
2: Frank, can you fucking talk to me, please? You killed them without me. I did you a favor. This was supposed to be ours. You'll thank me later. I'll thank you? Yes, because you're still good. Underneath all that self-righteousness, you are still a good person trying to help people. Right here, right now, your hands are still clean.
3: And so is your soul. You are the last person I'd listen to when it comes to matters of the soul. Fine. Have it your way.
2: I think this is deep enough. Here, take the shovel. Start handing me bodies. He sets the shovel aside before pushing Carl toward me, feet first. I grab him, get him in the hole, and then do the same for Martha, tossing her on top of him. Finally, I reach for Frank's hand as he helps me climb out of the hole. Anything you want to say before we bury them?
3: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, you have not made us for darkness and death, but for life with you forever. Without you, we have nothing to hope for. With you, we have nothing to fear. In the name of God, we commit the bodies of Carl and Martha Fremont to the peace of the grave. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. I commend you to almighty God and entrust you to your creator. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Um, Amen. Start burying them. I need some water from the car.
1: That was lovely.
2: Shut up. I'm not going crazy.
1: You are a Malkavian.
2: <laughs> That's not comforting.
1: Do you feel crazy?
2: No, I feel fine.
1: Good, because they deserved it.
2: I know that. I've always known that.
1: What about your promise to Lawrence?
2: Fuck Lawrence.
1: Fuck Lawrence?
2: He turned me into a blood sucking corpse so we could be together for eternity. And then he had the temerity to get himself killed. So, yeah. Yeah. Fuck, Fuck Lawrence.
1: Lawrence. Vampire the Masquerade, Port Saga, created by Rachel J. Wilkinson with voice performances by Dane Geist, Sean Patrick Judge, Roxy Hales, Jennifer Manning, Doug Hess, and Jack Lancaster. Sound design by Rachel J. Wilkinson. Mixing and mastering by Brandon Strader. Portions of this podcast are the copyrights and trademarks of Paradox Interactive AB and are used with permission, all rights reserved. For more information, please visit worldofdarkness.com.